for the glory of God. Our method, how we go about accomplishing that mission, is to touch and transform lives through the plain message of God's word, the Bible, letting the word of God do the work of God by the power of the spirit of God. We do this formally on Sundays in the context of our public gatherings, and we do this less formally in small groups or individual discussion. And then our message in all of that that we proclaim is not first and foremost about morality, but Christ-centered transformation, a whole new way of life with a new focus of worship. It is about people being individually renewed by God, forming new communities, churches, and lovingly serving those in need. Okay, so just a, just a few statements there to help us stay focused as a church. And those are going to be printed in your bulletin uh, every week this month. And so every week this month, we're going to remind ourselves that we as a church have been called to mission. And then we'll consider how that mission has been carried out here at Christ Church in the past, uh, what it looks like in the present, and Lord willing, what it might look like in the future. And to help us do that, there, there, there's probably no better place we could go to in the Bible than the book of Acts. Uh, because Acts is all about mission. And specifically, it's about God's mission. It's about God's mission to establish churches through the Holy Spirit-empowered preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me say that again, because that's my, my best attempt to give you a one-sentence summary of what the book of Acts is all about. Uh, the book of Acts is about God's mission to establish churches through the Holy Spirit-empowered preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we today study the book of Acts, we get to see God at work. And that's exciting. Uh, we get to see the risen Lord Jesus pouring out his Holy Spirit in order to empower his people for gospel mission in this world. And therefore, what happens then is we see God on mission in the book of Acts is that we also begin to understand how we today are now to join God in that work and therefore what it is that our mission as a church should be about. Now, we only have four weeks, so uh, we're not going to try to study the whole book of Acts uh, in four weeks. Uh, what I plan to do is to take a, a primary text each week. We'll, we'll focus in on that text, and then we'll probably jump around uh, in, in other portions of the book of Acts as we do that. So uh, if you don't normally bring a Bible with you to church, this might be a good sermon series in which to bring a Bible with you, because we will be jumping around uh, a little bit. You might find it helpful to have a Bible with you, and you can flip around as well. Uh, as always, though, there are, there are Bibles in the back. You can feel free to grab a Bible at any point if you want to have a Bible open in front of you. But it, it is there in your bulletin, so make sure you have in your bulletin open there to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. That's going to be our focus here this morning. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for his help as we dig into Acts chapter 1 here today. Uh, gracious Father, we thank you for uh, the truth of your word. We thank you that it is powerful. We thank you that it is clear. We thank you that it is sufficient. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would preach a better sermon than I prepared here today. Uh, I pray that you would preach to each of us, to each of our hearts, uh, that you would convict us, that you would show us your grace, and that you, Lord, would encourage us and motivate us to be about what you are about. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you do have a Bible open, uh, it may be like mine in that it gives a title to the book of Acts which says, The Acts of the Apostles. That's what my Bible says as it introduces this book. It says, The Acts of the Apostles. Maybe that's how you will usually refer to this book. As some people I know like to instead refer to this book as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, and both of those things are absolutely true. Those are good ways to refer to this book. But I think probably the, the most appropriate title for the book of Acts might be The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. And I think that's the emphasis because that's what we see here in verse 1. Uh, Acts was written by Luke, uh, hence the reference to uh, Theophilus there in verse 1, just like we, we see in Luke's gospel. If you're to read Luke chapter 1, you're going to see that same reference to Theophilus. And so Luke opens up Acts and he writes this. He says, in the first book, referring to his gospel record, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, so Luke's gospel, his first book, uh, it's filled with all the events of Jesus' birth and his life and his teachings and his, his miracles, including his death and his resurrection, everything up to the point of his ascension. And so you, you can sort of think of Luke's gospel as being volume one in his writing and then Acts 2 as, vol, Acts, as volume two in his writing. Uh, but the fact that, uh, as Luke says here, that his gospel was about what Jesus began to do and teach implies, you see, that Acts is about what Jesus continues to do and teach. And so Acts is about Jesus' continuing work and mission. Because the critical point, of course, is that Jesus is alive. Uh, Jesus is alive. He, he suffered. He was crucified. He was, he was dead. He was buried. But he rose from the dead. And he appeared physically, convincingly, to his disciples. And, of course, it's this truth that makes all the difference. And it's why Acts is about what Jesus continues to do in this world and not simply about the good and interesting life that Jesus once lived. You know, I wonder if even as, uh, uh, as us as Christians who uh, we firmly believe in the resurrection of Jesus, uh, I wonder if even for us who, who do affirm it clearly, if we still just need to be constantly reminding ourselves of this core truth. Because what happens when we forget that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is continuing to work, uh, two errors usually happen. One of two errors in Christianity. One error is that Christianity becomes just sort of a, a, a dead, formalistic religion. Uh, we forget that Jesus is alive, we forget that Jesus is at work, and everything becomes sort of about ritual and religion. There's no life, there's no vigor, there's no clarity, there's no purpose. The, the other error if we forget that Jesus is alive and Jesus is at work, is that Christianity becomes really just another means of carrying out social good in this world. And the, and the church then becomes nothing more than just another charity. You know, sort of, sort of like Red Cross, but with sacraments. You know, we're, we're doing the same work, but we just you know, put water on people and we gather around the table. That's what happens when we forget that Jesus is alive and that he's continuing to be at work. But when we remember that, we remember that even right now in 2024, that Jesus is carrying out a mission in this world, that then gives definition, it gives shape, it gives vitality to our lives and to our church. And so you, you can see, I hope, the clear relevance of, the, of this even just for your own life. You know, for example, most Christians I know are, are, are seeking guidance from God. You know, they go, God, God, what do you want for me in my life? What would you want me to do? What is your will for me in my life? Maybe that's how you've begun this year. In January, maybe you're praying that prayer. God, what would you have for me to be and to do in this new year? Well, you see, Acts chapter 1 speaks to that, that very question. And it does so by pointing us to the fact that God, the Lord Jesus, has a plan. He's presently carrying out this plan. And we, you and I in this church, we are to be part of that plan. So let me give you four words to help you think about the focus of this passage. Promise, power, 
purpose, and plan. Promise, power, purpose, and plan. Let's begin with that first word, promise. And the specific promise that's given here is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think we have to to really try and put ourselves into the shoes of the disciples here in this passage. You have to remember that they've seen seen Jesus murdered. Uh, And when they saw him murdered, all of their hopes and all of their dreams for him seemed to be dashed. But then, three days later, there he is. He's risen from the dead. And then he appears to them repeatedly throughout a 40-day period between his resurrection and his ascension so that they can very clearly see that he's alive. Okay, this, is, this isn't just some sort of hallucination that they all had one night. And what Luke tells us is that during that 40-day period, in addition to giving convincing proofs that he really is alive, what Jesus was also doing was teaching the disciples and specifically teaching them about the kingdom of God. Uh, and we even see here one instance of what that teaching about the kingdom of God was about. And so if you look at verse 4, uh, verse 4 is, is a continuation, actually, of verse 3. The, the paragraph break is a little bit misleading, but verse 4 is a continuation of verse 3. So on one occasion, while teaching them about the kingdom of God, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of God there. He's specifically focusing in on the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The promise from God the Father that goes back to the Old Testament that was spoken of by John the Baptist and then reaffirmed by Jesus himself. And so when the disciples go on to ask the question they do in verse 6, and see the question they ask there in verse 6, they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? When they ask that question, in one sense, it's a perfectly understandable question. Because this is precisely what Jesus was teaching them about. He was just teaching them about the kingdom of God. Now, what we have, to, we have today to grasp is that the Bible looks at history, and it sees it in two ages. Okay? There's, there, there's the old age in which evil and sin and rebellion against God are dominant. And then there's the new age in which God's kingdom would come and where justice and peace and righteousness would reign. And in the Old Testament, there were two distinct marks that would usher in the new age of God's kingdom. And one of those marks was the resurrection of the dead. And in fact, this was, this was the great hope of Israel throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Now, you might think, for example, of Ezekiel 37 uh, and that, that well-known passage about the, the, the valley of dry bones that are being, being brought to life, this resurrection of the, of the people of God. Or, or perhaps you might think of Daniel chapter 12, Uh, where, quote, at the end of the days, that is, at the end of the old age leading into the new, some will rise to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And now here's Jesus, risen from the dead. Uh, It seems that Jesus has conquered death itself. And so you've got to put yourself into the disciples' shoes and, and what they're experiencing and how they're experiencing that through the lens of what they know of the Old Testament scriptures. And then not only that, but the second mark that would usher in the new age was God giving his spirit to his people. So Isaiah 32, for example, speaks of the coming of the new age as being marked by the pouring out of God's spirit. And so again, here's Jesus now risen from the dead and reaffirming the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so again, if I'm putting myself into the disciples' shoes... 
Right? That question there in verse 6 is a, a question, I think, that's filled really with, with giddy anticipation. Uh, sort of like my children were on Christmas Day. Uh, I think of my, my youngest son, we, we had the chance to, to go and to be with our family back in New Mexico. It was the first time we'd been there in the, the 12 years that we've been here at Christ Church. Uh, we're grateful for the time you gave us to go and, and be with our families. We had a wonderful time. And, and Christmas morning, we had planned to, to gather everybody. It was a large group that was gathering together. And we were all going to meet at 10 o'clock. We were going to have breakfast and we are going to open gifts. Well, 10.01 hit. And my youngest son was at the front window looking down the driveway and saying, they're not here. <laughs> Is it time to open presents yet? We said 10 o'clock and nobody's here. That's kind of like what the disciples are like. It's giddy anticipation. Is this the time? Can we open the gifts now? Can we enjoy all the blessings of God's kingdom now? Is this the time? And so it's not that the question there is, is necessarily wrong. I mean, at the least, it's, 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 it's understandable. And yet it is off base. And it's off base because part of their problem is that while they rightly understood that there's an old age of rebellion and a new age of God's kingdom and blessings... What they failed to understand is that there would be an overlapping of the ages. And of course, it's that overlap that you and I now live in today. Where yes, Jesus has risen from the dead. And yes, the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon his people. And so yes, the kingdom of God has been uh, inaugurated, we might say, but it hasn't been uh, consummated. Uh, that is, it hasn't been fully and, and finally come to bear upon our lives. And so the blessings of God's kingdom, they're, they're mixed in with the sin and the rebellion of the old age. Uh, one way to perhaps illustrate that is to think through a, a woman in pregnancy. Right? A woman who's pregnant, uh, there, there's real life that's there. Uh, that life has been inaugurated. It's real, it's true. There's a, there's a real human life in the womb. And therefore, that woman is at that point a mother. And yet, of course, there's so much more to come. Right? There's development, there's growth, there's birth to come. Well, in the same way, the, the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but it hasn't fully and finally come. And of course, this point really hits home for the disciples when in verses 10 and 11, Jesus ascends into heaven. Because, I mean, here was God's king. God's king risen from the dead, and now he's gone. And so the disciples are left just kind of staring into the sky. And two angels have to correct them and say, essentially, hey, stop it. He's coming again in this same way. Uh, and when he does so, the implication is that he'll then bring with him the fullness of God's kingdom. When the king returns, that's when the kingdom of God is going to be fully consummated. And the rebuke that the angels give to the disciples there in verse 11 uh, is similar, I think, to Jesus' rebuke in verse 7. Responding to their question, is this the time? Jesus says to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. So notice that Jesus, he, he doesn't correct the question itself. The desire for the kingdom of God is right. But what he's saying is, is, is don't, don't consume yourself with the timing of it. You're not privy to that knowledge. So don't spend your time looking into the sky and speculating about the timing of all, or, or just sort of passively wishing that the kingdom of God was already here. Instead, what Jesus does is he gives them a mission. Right? In effect, saying to them, here's what you're to do now that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, and as you wait for its final consummation, here's what's to define your life in the in-between the in time. 
And friends, again, as, as, as we are those who also live in that in-between time, in that overlap of the ages, what Jesus is about to give to the disciples is also what's to define our lives. Uh, we, too, are on mission. So I want to spend the rest of the time this morning introducing us, reminding us of that mission as we get not only to the heart of this passage, but really to the defining verse for the whole book of Acts, and that's verse 8. Look at verse 8. Because this is where our, our other three words, power, purpose, and plan, also come into play. So verse 8, instead of, instead of us concerning ourselves with times and seasons, Jesus says to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the promise of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is a promise of power. Uh, that God's people will be empowered. And the power that Jesus gives us through his Holy Spirit is given to us for a specific purpose. Uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, so notice the, the purpose of Jesus giving the Holy Spirit isn't so that I can go out in the power of the Spirit and, and claim health and wealth and material blessings. Uh, rather, it is so that we will be witnesses to Jesus Christ. Uh, so that we will give testimony to, to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That he's suffered for our sins, but he's now risen from the dead and he reigns as the king. Now, you know, we're not witnesses in the same sense that the apostles were witnesses, right? I mean, they were literally eyewitnesses of all of this. And so our witness is, is based off of their eyewitness account as they've recorded for us in Scripture. But, but the same idea of witnessing applies. Uh, with our words and our lies, we're to testify about Jesus and, and about the truth of the gospel. Uh, we're to tell people about the life and the hope and the joy and the salvation that comes through knowing Jesus as Lord. You know, we're to tell people about the glorious fact that all of their sins really can be forgiven. That their shame can really be removed from them. Why? Because Jesus is the Savior of this world. We're to tell people that, and we're then to back it up in the way that we live our lives in this world. And so what Jesus does, you see, is he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit so that you now have unsurpassed power to make this good news known to other people. Uh, we are to be witnesses to Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let me take a, a, a moment and speak to some of the possible objections here. Because whenever we talk about evangelism and mission, there's always some objections. Uh, maybe some of you are thinking right now that you can't do this. You know, that there's no way you can be a, a reliable, effective witness for Jesus. Especially when it comes to talking to others about him. You think, you think I can't do this. But can I just remind you of what the disciples were like prior to the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives? I mean, you go back and you read Luke's first volume uh, or any of the other gospel records. I mean, th th these disciples, they're not exactly great models of evangelistic witness. Uh, Peter in particular, just think about Peter. I mean, Peter's a guy who angrily cuts off people, uh, people's ears. Uh, like a coward, he, he hides from a, a servant girl who merely is asking him a few questions about Jesus. He, he's constantly stumbling over his words, saying things he shouldn't be saying and, and, and not saying things that he probably should be saying. That's Peter before the Holy Spirit. But if you have a Bible open, flip over to Acts chapter 2. 
Because the, the very first sermon that ever was preached in the, in the new church is actually by Peter. And it's an amazing sermon. Uh, it begins in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, and it goes all the way through verse 36. And it's a sermon that's filled with scripture from the Old Testament. It's a, it's a sermon that exalts Jesus as, as the Messiah and the Lord. Uh, it's a sermon that's filled with courage as it confronts people in their sin. And it's a sermon that's filled with love as it offers the hope of forgiveness. I mean, Peter in the book of Acts, he, he seems like a completely different person than he does in the gospel records. And the difference is the power of the Holy Spirit in Peter's life, equipping him to do this eyewitness work that Jesus has called him to do. It's Jesus' gift of the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the promise he made that changes everything. Uh, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, I mean, this is, the, this is the turning point that sets off all of the missionary work in the book of Acts. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that, that's the turning point right there. In fact, so important is the, the work of the Holy Spirit that we read about Jesus once again giving the gift of his Spirit, this time to the Gentiles in, in chapter 10 of Acts. Uh, if you want to flip there, Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 44. Uh, this is sort of the, the day of Pentecost for the Gentiles. Uh, while Peter was still saying these things, that is the gospel, he's preaching the gospel to him. While he's doing that, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Right, so over and over again in the book of Acts, uh, the, the point is being made that this is God's work, that God is the one who is doing this. Uh, the risen Lord Jesus fulfilled his promise that he would give the Holy Spirit so that his people could have power for the purpose of giving testimony about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so when people are saved and they're brought into the church, we're told over and over again in the book of Acts that it's the Lord who added to their number those who were being saved. Right? God did it. Uh, he was the one who empowered them. And so when you start to get to the end of the book, it, it's God who rightly gets all the glory. Uh, Acts chapter 21. Uh, this is after the Apostle Paul returns to Jerusalem. He, he's been on three long missionary journey, journeys in which the gospel has been spreading all over the world. And so sinners have been converted, disciples have been made, churches have been planted. And, and here's what Luke says about it all. Chapter 21, verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And it's God's work. It's, it's for God's glory. It's, it's Jesus giving the Holy Spirit to empower his people for mission in this world. And so if your objection is, hey, I can't do this, actually, you're right. You can't do what Jesus is instructing here. 
Which is precisely why Jesus told the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Because he knew they couldn't do it on their own. But friends, relying on the, the equipping power of the Holy Spirit, you can do this. With the Spirit of God, you can do it. Trust the Spirit. Rely on the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Almighty God. And he clothes us with power so that we can give a witness to others about Jesus. Rely on the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, another potential objection is this. Uh, some of you perhaps think that this simply isn't for you. Uh, that this is something for others to do. And my simple question for you to consider is this. Do you have the Holy Spirit or not? Do you have the Holy Spirit or not? If the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, understand, again, that one of the main reasons he's at work in your life is to empower you to give testimony about Jesus. I mean, this is precisely the point that's, that's made in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. If it's been a while since you've read Acts chapter 2, go home, read it this afternoon, and what you'll, what you'll see is that part of, of the point of Peter's sermon, he quotes the prophet Joel, and he emphasizes that men, women, children, the old, the young, everyone of God's people, no matter who they are, receive the Holy Spirit in order to testify about Jesus. Now, it may be that some of you actually think that this idea of the baptism of the Spirit is great. Uh, you actually don't really have a lot of objections. Uh, in fact, you, you, you would love for me to preach more on the, on the Holy Spirit. Uh, your, your desire, your wish, is that Christ Church was more of a Spirit-filled church. Well, that's my desire, too. Uh, friends, I would love for us to be, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I would love for us to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. But again, you have to make sure you understand what that clearly means. Uh, to be a spirit-filled church isn't simply about getting excited when you come here. It's not simply about clapping or, or raising your hands when you sing. Although, uh, as I try to tell people, you're completely welcome to do that. Please feel free to clap. Please feel free to raise your hands. Please feel free to shout out an amen. All of that's completely allowed. But understand, that's not the mark of a spirit-filled church. You can, you can do those things without the power of the Holy Spirit. The true mark of a spirit-filled church is that we're giving faithful witness to Jesus' death and resurrection. That we're fulfilling that purpose for which we've been given power. Uh, the, the late American writer, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, he once, uh, in his work, the, the Cat's Cradle, he told a parable about the creation of the world and the lack of purpose in life as he envisioned it. Uh, Vonnegut's parable, it goes like this. He said, uh, in the beginning, God created the earth and he looked upon it in his cosmic loneliness. And God said, let us make living creatures out of mud so the mud can see what we have done. And God created every living creature that now moveth and one was man. Mud as man alone could speak. God leaned close to mud as man sat up, looked around and spoke. Man blinked. What is the purpose of all this? He asked politely. Everything must have a purpose, asked God. Certainly, said man, then I leave it to you to think of what all this is for, said God. And he went away. I actually think sometimes the church and Christians behave that way. Uh, they think that is if Jesus' ascension has come and Jesus has departed, he's never to be heard from again, and we're left here to try to figure out everything on our own and what it is we should do. When instead the reality is that Jesus is alive, God has fulfilled his promise, he's given us power, for a specific purpose. And not only that, but he's even given us a plan for how to carry this work out. That's the final word we want to think about this morning, plan. 
So uh, go back to Acts chapter 1, look at verse 8 again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus gives power through his Spirit for the purpose of witnessing, and the plan is this. It's going to begin in Jerusalem. It's going to spread to the very end of the earth. And this is precisely what unfolds in the book of Acts. Uh, The gospel uh, being preached in Jerusalem and then slowly working its way out to the end of the earth. Uh, Working its way out to to impact the lives of of Pharisees and and Samaritans and and Ethiopians and and Romans and and men and women and people in the marketplace and, and people in the academy. All kinds of people from all walks of life having their lives changed and transformed by the gospel. That's the story of Acts. Jesus goes up, the Spirit comes down, and God's people go out. Jesus goes up, the Spirit comes down, and God's people go out. And they're to keep going out until Jesus comes again. And so the question is, as we move our way through this month and we think about our mission here, is is where do we fit into all of this? And, And are we doing our part uh, are we about what we should be about? Uh, what does this look like for us as a church in the past? Uh, what does it look like right now in the present for us as a church? And what, what should, what could it look like for us in the future as a church? Okay, so there, there are 28 chapters uh, in the book of Acts. And conventional wisdom rightly says this today now is Acts 29. Right? You and I, we are Acts 29. So, so do we understand that? That's the question. Uh, Do we understand God's promise and the overlapping of the ages, the the inaugurated but not yet consummated kingdom of God? Uh, Do we understand that the Holy Spirit comes upon those who put their trust in Jesus with real power? Uh, Do we understand that our purpose is to be witnesses? And do we understand that this is still the plan, this constant outward movement and focus? You know, I think we could, we could look at the disciples and conclude that they really committed two errors here in this passage. Uh, in the first place, they committed, or at least were in danger of committing, the error of giving themselves to the wrong activity, uh, of consuming themselves with God's timing about the kingdom instead of actually doing the work of the kingdom. And then in the second place, they were in danger of committing the error of inactivity, uh, of perhaps piously waiting for the return of the Lord instead of actually fulfilling the Lord's mission. So I love what John Stott says of this. He says, their calling was to be witnesses, not stargazers. The vision they were to cultivate was not upwards in nostalgia to the heaven which had received Jesus, but outwards in compassion to a lost world which needed him. And brothers and sisters, the same is to be true of us. And so we need to make make sure and to take care that we're not committing the same two errors. Uh, that we're not giving ourselves to the wrong mission, and that we're not neglecting our mission. So again, we're going to use the beginning of this new year to do just that. And the book of Acts is, I think, exactly where we need to be to do that. Because when you see in this book uh, people joyfully giving their lives for the spread of the gospel, and you see that gospel spreading throughout the world and changing lives, that's invigorating, it's, it's motivating And so as we start this new year, let's keep reminding ourselves that here at Christ Church, uh, we are a church on mission. Uh, We're not a church that exists to entertain ourselves, uh, but we are to go into the world with the hope of the gospel. Uh, We have been empowered for mission. Let's pray.
Uh, gracious Father, uh, thank you this morning. Uh, thank you that you have gathered us here today, that we be able to sit under your word. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to reflect on this, this, this great truth. Uh, Father, I thank you for, for how infused with, with purpose this passage is and how infused with power it is and really with a, uh, your plan for our lives. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would, you would help us to, to give ourselves to this end, that we might see uh, the eradication of boredom and lethargy and misapplication, uh, that we might better understand that, that where you have placed us to work and to live and, and to play, that in all of these places you're leading us and you're guiding us and you're empowering us, you're sending us out on mission. Uh, we pray that you would be pleased to work through us, to, to draw people to yourself uh, for, for, the, for your glory, uh, for, for, the, for the good of your kingdom, Lord God, we pray. Uh, would you set us out on that mission? Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.